This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, Brad, uh, let's get into it. What we've been doing, I was at CinemaCon in Las Vegas all of last week. Uh, Peter and Ryan did uh, you know, a valiant job of trying to recap as much of that as possible on the podcast. Uh, hopefully, the listeners were checking out SlashFilm.com because uh, you, Brad, and the rest of the editors were just like, you know, uh, spearheading tons and tons of um, articles and stuff coming out of, of that whole convention. There's a lot of great stuff, a lot of mediocre stuff. Um, I just wanted to run off really quickly a few of the the titles that uh, were the my, my favorite things that I saw there that I, I want to make sure are on people's radars. So uh, Barbie, everybody knows that the Barbie movie is coming out. They, they showed sort of some extended footage from that, which I, I thought looked really fantastic. Um, Napoleon, this, the, we got the first look at Ridley Scott's Napoleon movie starring Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, and that looked really good, like a, a return to form for Ridley Scott, sort of like old school, classic, epic uh, action filmmaking. Um, the first trailer for Kill- uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, the Scorsese movie that has been long awaited by everyone, uh, debuted there. So I'm sure that's going to be online fairly soon since that movie comes out later this year. That looked great. Uh, one thing that we didn't really write about because there wasn't much to the footage, but that I found personally charming and definitely didn't know about this movie and now am, am actively looking forward to it is a film called Anyone But You, which is a sort of rom-com starring Sidney Sweeney and Glenn Powell, where the two of them play characters who really don't like each other. And I think that the premise is that they're like forced to uh, pretend like they're a couple and then they actually end up sort of slowly falling in love over the course of the movie, like a very basic sort of familiar concept. But um, it looks super sexy and modern and um, uh, like a lot of fun. So I, I've never really heard of that one. And I want people to know about it. That's called Anyone But You. And then lastly, um, there was a they showed, an, a, I guess it was an extended trailer, maybe some extended footage from a movie called The Fall Guy, which is a remake of an 80s TV show about a stunt driver, I think. And Ryan Gosling... Uh, stars in this movie alongside Emily Blunt and the two of them he uh, Gosling plays a stunt driver Emily Blunt plays I guess his ex and now she has moved on to become the director of a big budget action movie and she calls him in he's retired and she calls him in to help her out to finish this movie because her lead actor has gone missing uh, and the lead actor is played by Aaron Taylor Johnson so um 
the only downside to this movie, Brad, is that David Leach directed it. And I haven't really been a huge fan of David Leach's stuff. He's done some good things like the, the action in Atomic Blonde, I thought was great. But like Deadpool 2, not a fan. Hobbs and Shaw, outright hated. Uh, you know, th- there's just a lot of um, a lot of a lot more misses on the David Leach uh, thing for me than um, than probably a lot of other folks. So I'm like, oh, man, this actually looks really good. Are you just going to sucker me in with a great trailer here, David Leach? And I'm going to end up being disappointed. Or is this the one that's really going to turn me around uh, on you as a filmmaker? So, um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Uh, Brad, I just wanted to ask you, like, you know, uh, hearing all of my secondhand um reactions to things and and seeing some of the stuff that the studios actually released online uh during CinemaCon was there anything that stuck out to you as something that you're actively looking forward to well, f- well first of all I just want to say kudos to you because you uh were typing fast and furious getting us as much of an accurate uh depiction of the footage that was shown as you can like it's just a non-stop whirlwind when you're there uh in that you know uh exhibition room uh and just trying to get all that information to us so uh, I think the thing that I'm most jealous that you got to see that I, I just can't wait for is you get to see, what, 20 minutes of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning? Yes. Yeah, that's something that I just I, I can't wait for. Um, some of the stuff that you you saw that has been released, uh, one of the things that I was intrigued by was the trailer for Gran Turismo, which was just released today. Um, and I'm super intrigued by that movie because it, it has a cool vibe to it. It kind of feels like a contemporary take on, on Days of Thunder in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty jazzed to see what that looks like. It seems like it could be a, a surprisingly good video game movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I was I was shocked by that because Neil Blomkamp directed that movie, and he's the the guy who made District Nine and Elysium and Chappie, and it just does not seem like a Neil Blomkamp movie. Like it, it, yeah. it doesn't have that same sort of aesthetic that he has um, seemingly committed himself to over the past what since two thousand nine, I guess, when District Nine came out. Um, so it just seems like him making something much more straightforward and mainstream and. Uh, down the middle and David Harbour is in it as people can see from the trailer. And it, it looks like he's sort of coaching this, uh, this team of, of drivers and um, it kind of has like a hint of a Kingsman kind of vibe to it, I think too. So um, yeah, it definitely looks like very unlike Neil Blomkamp, but also um, really good. So I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what that says about the quality of Neil Blomkamp's other work, but, um, but yeah, so great. And, and thank you for saying that, Brad. And, and it is, yeah, very, um, it's a weird situation because the screen is like completely dim. So I'm sure I was like, there were typos all over the place and the stuff that I was, I was sending to you guys. But um, I know that slash film and the, the editors and the writers killed it in terms of like turning all that stuff around and and actually making my nonsense into like readable articles that I hope people uh, have already read. But if they haven't go back and and check that stuff out because there's, there's a lot of good stuff there. So um, what have you been doing recently, Brad? Uh, so uh, I will have a more extensive uh, detailing of the, this uh, kind of as time goes on, because I'll be writing uh, a collection of articles on Slash Film here in the in the coming weeks. Uh, but I recently got a, a huge shipment of cool stuff from the Noble Collection. Uh, and if you haven't heard of the Noble Collection, uh, it's this company that creates um, like somewhat higher end uh, collectibles from a bunch of different franchises. Um, you can check them out at noblecollection.com, but they, they have licenses for uh, like Jurassic Park, uh, Game of Thrones, uh, Harry Potter, 
um, Star, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, uh, and some other random things like Jumanji and whatnot. And so uh, I was re- recently like reached out by one of their new PR people about about them. And since I put together the big gift guide last year, I connected with them to see if like uh, just to get a hold of some stuff to feature on Slash Film and talk about. And uh, I wasn't expecting to get so many things, um, but they sent me tons of stuff. And so like some of the things that I'll be like providing a closer look at here in the near future will be things like a like a wooden Jumanji board game prop replica, um, a very detailed, uh, high quality uh, version of the Wizard's Chess set from the finale of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, um, a uh, one of the like uh, like a genuine uh, like Elven brooch that is like jewelry quality, um, uh, and a life size uh, broomstick of the Firebolt from Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. So I have a lot of cool stuff to dig through. I'll be t- uh, taking a closer look at it and posting some stuff uh, on Slash Film, similar to how I've been doing uh, recent like Lego set reviews and, and stuff like that. So so keep an nice. eye out for that and feel free yeah to check out Noble Collection and see some of the stuff that they have over there. Was that brooch from Lord of the Rings? Yeah, it's the uh, yeah the the Elven brooch that they're given uh, when they go to to Rivendell that put um, all the, ho- the hobbits are wearing on their cloaks and stuff. Sweet, yeah, that sounds great. I'm uh, eagerly anticipating the publication of those articles, so stay tuned, listeners, for that. Um, let's get into what we've been watching at CinemaCon. I had the chance to see The Flash and The Boogeyman. Um, I'm not going to go too deep on this because the the review embargo for both is still in place, but they lifted the social embargo. So I'll just say quickly, I think people are really going to love The Flash. I, I enjoyed it much more than I thought I was going to. Um, but there are moments in this movie that I think are going to catapult, you know, like people are going to be like, you know, going nuts in the aisles kind of thing. I, th- I think this is going to be like for mainstream comic book movie lovers, this movie is going to be a very, very big deal. So I will say, you know, there have been so many stories that I've lost count now, Brad, of how many times people have been like, this is the greatest superhero movie of all time. (laughs) And like, I would just (laughs) encourage everyone to please lower your expectations from that because that's something that like, there are so many great super movies. This movie is not better than The Dark Knight. This movie is not better than Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse or or Into the Spider-Verse. You know, there are some real classics of that uh, it's not even a genre, but whatever, the, of, of superhero film. Um, and this movie, you know, who knows? Maybe it will one day be considered sort of in in the lower tier of that same pantheon or something. But um, my gut reaction after seeing it one time was like, that was good, but people need to chill out a little bit on the praise for this thing. So um, <laughs> I, I, I really do think that there are going to be a ton of moments that people are going to be like freaking out over. And um I, I just I I was very pleased to see that this story felt uh, solid and concrete and just like um, it had a beginning, middle, and end, and it was it was the best DC movie in a long, long time. So uh, take that as you will. For this point, we're going to be talking a lot more about this movie. Um, you know, as it as we ramp up to the release and as the, the movie comes out and everything. So uh, stay tuned for the Flash, and then the Boogeyman is uh, a horror movie based on a Stephen King short story or novel? I don't remember now. Um, but Chris Messina is in this. Uh, Sophie Thatcher from Yellow Jackets is in this. Both of them are great. And uh, I feel like this movie might be this year's smile in that it's just like a a very um, straightforward, uh, super effective horror movie that uh, is, you know, does exactly what it sets out to do. It doesn't need to like reinvent the wheel. There's not anything in here that's going to be like... Um, 
you know, that that's like genre defying or like uh, it's not like get out in the way that it sort of um, tackles like social themes or, or does anything like super uh, ambitious. It's just like a very, very sturdy, um, really effective, like uh, spooky straight down the middle type of horror movie. So um, I, I enjoyed it a great, a great deal. And I think the horror community will probably like it a lot. And I think it's one of those movies also that like, even if you don't love horror films, this one might be, uh, worth checking out. So that's the boogeyman. It comes out later this year. Um, what, what were your, uh, I'm sure you saw all the, the social media reactions rolling in, uh, particularly for the flash, Brad, um, did any of those, uh, I don't know, leave an impact on you in, in one way or another, are your, is your, uh, your personal anticipation meter for the flash, uh, high or lower or right in the same spot as it was? It's pretty much in the same spot, just because, like, I, you know, uh, because of our coverage on Slash Film and, and everywhere, really, you know, I, I've heard James Gunn praising the movie. I've heard all the the buzz behind the scenes of how good the Flash is, and so I'm I'm excited for it simply because uh, of Michael Keaton returning to the role of Batman. I think that's a really exciting thing to bring into the DC universe, even as there's a changing of the guard and moving away from what Zack Snyder established with his version of the DC universe. Uh, just the prospect of having Michael Keaton back as Batman is enough for me to be excited. Uh, obviously. It, it's complicated with the Ezra Miller of it all. Um, but, you know, Warner Brothers had this movie finished and they need to release it. Otherwise, it's just going to cost them a shit ton of money. And so uh, it's, a, it's a complex uh, situation. I hope Ezra yeah. Miller is getting some help. Uh, but we can't avoid the fact that he's in this movie and that it exists and that people want to hear about it. And so, you know, I'm, I'm interested and curious uh, and I'm looking forward to watching it. And uh, I, I hope it's, it's entertaining. Yeah, I will say Ezra Miller, uh, Ezra Miller is is very very good in this movie, and uh, Michael Keaton is is fantastic. So um, yeah, as you said, a super complicated situation, and especially in the David Zaslav era, uh, running Warner Brothers now, um, there was there was just no way that they were going to scrap this movie, regardless of what the the I don't know correct moral decision may have been in the eyes of some or whatever. So uh, it, yeah, it's 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 a really naughty thing, and it's going to be n- naughty like. N o t t y, not not naughty. <laughs> although um, although there is some naughtiness to be sure. <laughs> yes, I guess so. Uh, yeah, it, it's a really tough thing, and I, I think people are gonna, you know, people who pay attention to this stuff online are gonna, um, once they see the film, gonna have to grapple with how they feel about it, and and I think it's just like a nuanced, complicated thing where people are gonna have to have, uh, gonna have to like do a thing that the internet does not really allow people to do very often, which is like to have an actually nuanced um, take on, on a situation, right? Like, you know, that there is room to acknowledge uh, some, some illegality or behind the scenes troubles or whatever you want to call it. And while also like trying to um, look at the movie and, and talk about what it does as a, as a film and like acknowledging all the work of the hundreds or thousands of people who worked on this thing. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's a, it's the same thing that we've been talking about since, you know, the me too times up and all that. It's just, it's all sort of rolled into the superhero, uh, mainstream conversation with this movie. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see how that plays out and, um, and yeah, how, how that goes from there. So, uh, I just wanted to mention two other films that I had a chance to watch really quickly. Uh, one is called Royal Wedding from 1951 as uh, directed by Stanley Donan. I believe this is his second film. He's the guy who made, um, Singing in the Rain with Gene Kelly. Uh, Royal Wedding stars Fred Astaire and Jane Powell as a brother-sister dancing team uh, from America. And they basically get uh, conscripted into going over to the UK during 
the uh, an impending wedding of a princess and and prince, I guess, uh, at in in London. And they are going to be dancing while they're there and, you know, putting on a big show. And then each of them falls in love with somebody while they're there. And they all end up sort of, uh, it's just this sort of swooning love uh, saga of, of them, like getting married all on the same day as, uh, as the Royals do. So it's very like heightened and, and fairly ridiculous. It's one of those sort of, um, you know, uh, like a, a high fantasy almost type of movie, even though it's there's not any elves or anything running around. But there's there are a few amazing, amazing dance sequences in this movie, as you might expect from a Fred Astaire project. Uh, there's one sequence where he is uh, supposed to meet up with his sister in the gym on a cruise ship as they're going across, or a steamer ship or whatever, as they're going across the, the uh, ocean to get to uh, London. And she doesn't show up because she's talking with... Uh, this guy that she's slowly falling for. So he's just in this gym by himself and he starts dancing with all of this like gym equipment and he's like swinging around and, and uh, dancing with a, um, like a coat rack and like all these amazing things that he's just like, you can tell that they, they placed all these props there very specifically because he thought out this whole, uh, they, they choreographed this whole elaborate dance sequence. And it's really incredible the way that they, you know, hold, this is like classic Fred Astaire stuff, but they just hold really long continuous shots and you could just see all of the work that goes into uh creating this like um lighter than air sort of movement that he was able to do and then there's also a a dance sequence late in the movie where he's like in a in a christopher nolan inception hallway-esque scenario where he's dancing on the ceiling of a room and it spins around the whole room is like spinning around and the camera stays stationary and it looks like he's dancing on the ceiling and this movie came out in 1951. And I was like, is this the first time that the whole, you know, rotating room to dance on the ceiling thing has ever like ever happened? Because obviously like we've seen that kind of thing before. I think there was like a Jamiroquai video in like the nineties or something that, that had that same sort of vibe to it. Um, But I was wondering what the, what the very first instance of that was. And I have to imagine it was pretty close to 1951 when this movie came out. So uh, that may be, sort of a historical thing there, but a Royal wedding, if you're looking for a good sort of breezy Fred Astaire project, uh, this is a, a really, really good one. I would recommend this one much more, um, readily than funny face, which I talked about recently that had, um, uh, Fred Astaire and Audrey Hepburn. And I think this one is a much better movie. So that's called Royal wedding. And then, um, I also had a chance to rewatch for the first time in many, many years to have and have not. Have you ever seen this movie, Brad, the, the Humphrey Bogart, uh, Lauren Bacall film? I have not. I am uh, woefully uh, inexperienced with uh, some of some of Humphrey Bogart's classics, so I, I need to work on that. Man, he's great. You've seen Casablanca, though. Yes, yes. Okay, so this movie is very much like a Casablanca light kind of thing, where it's it's a lot of it came out around the same time, I think, like a year or two afterward, and it has like a lot of the same. Uh, almost dynamics and settings and locations and stuff. It, it doesn't actually take place in the same city, but the there's a, a bar in Casablanca that, that uh, Humphrey Bogart's character owns that's sort of this refuge for renegades and horn swagglers and, you know, all sorts of uh, people who are, are going against the Nazis. Rotten pernicious canids. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and and uh, this movie, To Have and Have Not, he plays a, um, a sea captain who, like basically he's like a freelance fisherman. Like people hire him to go out for the day and do like deep sea fishing. And he, there, there's a, a bar in this movie that sort of serves the same 
purpose as Rick's bar in Casablanca. And Bogart plays that same sort of archetype where he's like a guy who doesn't want to get, get involved in the politics of the situation. And he ultimately ends up getting sort of roped in because, um, you know, the, the, um, the realities of the world sort of um, there's like an incursion into this bar and he's, he's sucked in reluctantly. And then um, Lauren Bacall, who uh, I believe this was either her first movie or one of her early movies. Uh, it plays this character who is sort of a drifter. She comes from a bunch of different places and has sort of been bouncing around different cities in the world and ends up in this bar and, and uh, slowly falls in love with Bogart's character. And the two of them have like incredible crackling chemistry. And it's, it's just a, a real pleasure to watch. Um, this whole thing is based on an Ernest Hemingway novel. Um, and William Faulkner was one of the, the, uh, screenwriters of this movie so there's definitely like a, a big um you know prestige element to all of this but it does it does feel like it pales a little bit in comparison to Casablanca just because that film is like so perfect <laughs> and and this one is not quite but there, there's a lot of similar uh character types and archetypes and and dynamics and things like that so um yeah really interesting stuff and and this is the movie where Bogart and Bacall first met and they started their uh, affair and then they got married and were married for the next, I think it was like 12 or 13 years or something until Bogart died in like 1957. So um, yeah, really like one of the all time great on screen real life uh, sort of romantic pairings um, in Bogart and Bacall. And there's definitely a lot to draw from there. This is like a, a rich text in the Bogart and Bacall um, lineage or, or like, you know, uh, pantheon or what, what have you. So um, there's also a bizarre Warner Brothers, uh, like Looney Tunes cartoon called Bacall to Arms that is based on this movie and, and has several like Looney Tunes versions of Bogart and Bacall reenacting scenes from this film while a wolf character in a zoot suit does the sort of like, you know, howling at the screen kind of thing that, <laughs> that like uh, Jim Carrey does in the mask. Um super bizarre like i would recommend watching to have and have not and then just searching on youtube for bacall to arms and watching the clip because it's really surreal to watch the the uh looney tunes version of uh of what happens there so anyway uh a little bonus recommendation there um okay we actually have a lot more to talk about before we do that let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back catch those springtime vibes all over arizona Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. All right, Brad, I've been talking long enough. What have you been watching recently? I uh, watched Evil Dead Rise, uh, and I absolutely enjoyed the hell out of it. It is gory and gruesome and suspenseful and makes you squirm in your seat. Um, everything from like threatening eyeballs to uh, the cheese grater on, on the arm, just just real cringeworthy horror moments and the kind of stuff that I love seeing uh, from from an Evil Dead movie. Uh, and yeah, I just, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Have you seen it yet, Ben? I actually saw it, uh, yesterday, like last night. Um, and I, I have not seen Army of Darkness and I have not seen Fede Alvarez's 2013 remake. So I've only seen the first two movies and this just did not feel like that to me. It definitely felt like 
extreme, like almost all caps extreme. There's, it, it felt a little bit like, um, like drag me to hell in that uh, there are sequences where somebody is, you know, vomiting blood all over a character's face. And there's just like a lot of yes. ooze and yes. gore and things like that. Good, um, good. But, but it wasn't quite as fun as the Sam Raimi uh, as Drag Me to Hell was. I, that movie was like scary and and definitely extreme and like uh, overindulgent, but I thought in a fun way. And this movie, it, it didn't really have that sense of um, playfulness, I thought, but it, I thought it was an effective movie and I'm glad that I saw it. And there, there are definitely moments in it that, that stand out, um, but it just like tonally is so different than what I was expecting from something in this franchise. But I, I guess I, you know, I need to catch up on the other films to maybe have a, a fuller picture of that. Yeah. I do think the tone is a little bit more in tune with the evil dead uh, remake than it is with Sam Raimi stuff. But I think that's just a matter of just like uh, kind of the time, which the original evil dead was created. Cause it, it, mm-hmm. it has a little, uh, it, like it says, it's, it's dark, playful, you know, still, still kind of scary. Um, and this kind of like elevates it to not in that, you know, annoying elevated horror kind of way, but like elevates it to like a different uh, level of horror because it, it is a little bit more uh, raw and scary. But I, I, I appreciate it because there are Sam Raimi elements to it, um, but it also does make it a little bit more in, intense. And so I, I, I really enjoyed it because of that. Yeah, for sure. What else have you been watching? I also saw caught up on uh, Renfield, uh, the Nicolas Cage Dracula movie with Nicholas Holt playing uh, the titular character. Uh, Dracula's familiar. Uh, and this one was OK. Uh, it's really fun to watch Nicolas Cage chewing scenery, playing Dracula, uh, watching them recreate uh, moments from the original classic Dracula was uh, pretty cool, even though I do think they could have done a little bit more work to blend Nicholas Cage and Nicholas Holt into the black and white footage because like they looked a little bit too high definition compared to the footage that they reused from the old movie around them. And they did put a lot of work into recreating those scenes properly with perspective and uh, the right camera lenses and, and things like that. But I felt like there was just something that where the they looked a little too sharp uh, in the footage, but it was still cool to see them uh, make that attempt. I think my biggest problem with this movie is just that it didn't. <laughs> It didn't feel like it was wild enough for the premise. They could have gone weirder and Nicholas Holt's character could have been a lot more uh, strange and they could have mined a lot more comedy from that. And I think there there was just a little too much focus on delivering like superhero level action. Like it's um, Nicholas Holt when he is super powered after eating bugs, basically like the action is just it feels like it's from a completely different movie. And I wish they would have leaned a little bit more into the odd comedy side as opposed to the action side of things, because there is some darkly funny stuff here. Um, but it just I feel like it falls a little bit short of being something that could have been uh, a lot more great. So I'm we've talked about this before, Brad. I'm, I'm catching up on uh, what we do in the shadows. I'm like almost done. I think the I'm on the season three finale right now. Um, and having seen a lot of that show recently and then like watching the trailer for Renfield, it seems very clear to me that that Renfield is going for a, what we do in the shadows type of thing to, to some degree, you know, like that same kind of familiar, uh, well, not, not exactly that dynamic, but a, a, a sort of put up a put upon familiar and like, uh, some of the, um, abusive abuses of power that can happen in, uh, that sort of power dynamic between a, a familiar and a vampire. So I know you're a big fan of that show. How would you compare those two things? Did you think about what we do in the shadows when you were watching Renfield or does it really feel like its own thing? What we shouldn't do in the shadows approaches like the subject matter and like the premise uh, in a much more uh, entertaining and sharp way. 
Um, Renfield is definitely definitely stands out because of how much it focuses on uh, the action element of it. Like there, there's stuff that feels feel like full blown action sequences from, you know, like a John Wick movie or, you know, a- a- any any big blockbuster action movie, like mm-hmm. uh, very drawn out choreographed action sequences with a lot of digital uh, blood splattering like that. That's one thing that makes it a little bit different is like there's there's definitely grotesque amounts of blood, but it's also a lot of digital splatter and they don't really uh, back it up with any practical blood effects. Like there's mm. there's so many big digital blood splatters that you should see a lot more uh, blood splattered around sets and you just don't feel its actual presence. It, it feels tacked on, uh, which was kind of frustrating to me. Um, yeah. Unlike Evil Dead Rise, which just poured and poured practical blood all over the place yeah um but yeah what we do in the shadows uh i mean it's it's uh that's on another level as far as like how how great and well it depicts vampires and the, the awkward humor that comes from them existing in the modern world and, and that kind of thing and, and renfield's focus while it does have some funny moments um it's it's much more focused on the the action side of things Okay, speaking of action, you also had a chance to see Sisu. Is that how you yes. pronounce this? Yeah, so this is a movie that's from the same guy that directed uh, Big Game and uh, and Rare Exports. Um, and I'm looking up his name right now because it's uh, uh, escaping me at this point. Um, Jamari Herlander. And, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, he, this is a... An, action like movie that finish i think yeah yeah and it's it's basically john wick meets inglorious bastards uh the story is there's this uh it's after world war ii the nazis are kind of on their way uh out but they're still being dickheads and there's this old man who has been mining for gold and he finds uh, a pretty decent amount of it and he's on his way back to cash it in and get get the money for it but he's encountered by uh, a small battalion of Nazis who are still just being total assholes, of course, because they're Nazis. Um, <laughs> and so uh, they just pick a fight with the wrong dude because it t- turns out this guy has quite uh, a legacy and reputation. Uh, like he's one of those mythical people that have that they've heard about where people think he's immortal and he's just inexplicably survived so many things and killed so many people. And uh, there's some great action here. It's very pulpy. Uh, sometimes it feels like uh, a grindhouse movie, but it doesn't quite measure up to uh, the greatness of either John Wick or Inglorious Bastards. Um, it feels a little too slight in some ways, uh, kind of basic. But there there are some phenomenal uh, action moments. There's there's one particular sequence involving landmines, which is great. Um, but like the the action escalation here, like it doesn't quite border on being. Uh, unbelievably ridiculous but it just fits that like that colby grindhouse feel so well that it's it's still a lot of fun even if it doesn't you know necessarily feel like the the next you know great thing from the action genre it's it's still a very enjoyable movie okay so that's sisu and i think that's in some theaters uh around the country right now if people want to check that out yes it should be um what else have you been watching brad I watched a couple uh, other things outside of theaters for the first time. Um, even though I've seen plenty of Guy Ritchie movies, I had never actually seen Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, uh, which hmm. is his uh, big, you know, debut. And this was, it felt like I was watching Clerks or Reservoir Dogs for the first time, but just with Guy Ritchie, uh, because you really get a sense of like this being, you know, the, the genre that he works best in and this being like a purely uh, a movie of his own creation. This had like the big uh, debut of Jason Statham in it. Um, it has has Jason Fleming. It has has a lot of familiar faces that you you would see in movies like Snatch and whatnot. Uh, and it's, it's just a lot of fun. You know, it's at first um, I 
it's a lot to latch onto because the story is a little bit confusing at first because there's so many different threads uh, until things start connecting in like the the back half of the movie. But it's you know got that you know uh, wry British humor and you know, the 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 violence that just works. It's very very stylish. Where you know you get a sense that even though Guy Ritchie felt like he was echoing Quentin Tarantino in a lot of ways, he still brought his own you know elements to it and was able to to stand out uh, and you know really just like to carve out a career for himself doing these a lot of movies like that were similar to this for uh, any and he's still doing them to this day you know he's been varying up a bit uh but yeah you really get a sense of who Guy Ritchie is uh, in this movie and just you know the, the things that would uh, would come in his career later so did you actually enjoy this movie or was it just more interesting from like a um like a uh, Rosetta Stone type of way of like seeing oh, okay this is where all these guys, you know, all this guy's, uh, you know, neuroses and like interest as a filmmaker really got started or, or did you actually like enjoy the experience? Yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely still enjoyed it. It's uh, it, it's a, it's definitely a fun kind of uh, mishap heist movie, you know, where things keep going wrong and characters keep running into each other. Uh, and so there, there's a lot to, to keep your attention and it's it's very much uh, enjoyable. It's very funny in, in, in parts as well. So uh, uh, Vinnie Jones is also in this. I forgot to mention that too. This was another big, big move for him. Also, uh, there's a very bit part for Rob Brydon, uh, who is is very famous today. Be- uh, you know, he's he's a, makes a great duo with Steve Coogan in the Trip and all the sequels that followed. He's a very funny uh, uh, British comedian, and he has a bit part in this as a traffic cop. And I was like, is that <laughs> Rob Brydon? And, and sure enough, it, it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I definitely didn't know who Rob Brydon was when I first watched this movie like 20 years ago or something. So uh, I'm probably overdue for a rewatch of some of uh, Guy Ritchie's early stuff. But um, did you see, like, have you caught up with, uh, what is it called? Operation Fortune Ruse de Guerre? No, I, I have not one? seen that yet. No. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know what you think about that movie because I feel like it has sort of a, a divisive, uh, it's had sort of a dis- divisive response. I feel like some people have been like, this is actually fun and good and like people need to ease up on it. And then other people have been like, come on, this is like direct video bullshit. What are we (laughs) doing here? (laughs) What's going on? So I'm curious to know what you think about that. If you get a chance to check it out. Um, What else have you been checking out? Uh, I watched Finch, which is uh, an Apple TV plus movie that came out in 2021 kind of went by without much pomp and circumstance. Um, But I, I really like this movie a lot. Uh, For those of you that don't know, this is, uh, a movie starring Tom Hanks, and he plays this uh, engineer who's living in a post-apocalyptic uh, time. There, there's this giant solar flare that happened and ripped holes in the ozone layer, uh, making the the sun deadly hot, uh, and you know people getting radiation poisoning and things like that because of it. Uh, everything is dry and, and dusty. There's like uncontrollable storms, uh, sandstorms, and thunderstorms with tornadoes and stuff. Um, and Tom Hanks plays this guy named Finch uh, who has uh, a dog that he's taking care of and like he goes out and ventures to get food and stuff like that. He's just trying to get by. And uh, he builds this artificially intelligent uh, robot. That he's holed up in like the place that he he's been he had been working for years. It's some kind of like tech lab. Uh, and he creates this this robot that he builds an artificial intelligence in for the sole purpose um, of basically being able to take care of this dog that he's been taking care of because uh, it seems like he's on the verge of death because he himself does have uh, radiation poisoning and it's getting getting pretty bad. And so uh, there uh, there's this big storm that's coming and they end up needing to leave because otherwise they don't have enough food to survive how long the storm is going to last. So they basically take off on the road uh, in this custom RV to make it to San Francisco where things are apparently environmentally uh, better. 
And so along the way, the robot is like learning and evolving and figuring out, you know, how to uh, survive and take care of the dog and everything. And Tom Hanks, you know, is just instructing him and everything. And the robot is uh, the best part, you know, of this movie. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of great parts because Tom Hanks is in it. And he's, you know, he's just a I don't know if you know this, but he's a really good actor. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the robot is uh, voiced and motion capture performed by Caleb Landry Jones. And he, it starts off having like uh, a, a Russian-esque, like uh, computerized robot voice. Like, hello, Finch, I am learning to walk and these kinds of things. <laughs> but as he keeps learning, as they're spending time together, he starts to sound more like uh, Caleb Landry Jones and speaking naturally and learning stuff like that. And you can really see the evolution of the robot and how he moves and interacts. Uh, and the the visual effects for it are, are really, really well done, too. I was super impressed by, by how they pulled off the, the effects and captured uh, the motion capture performance, um, especially in the hands. Uh, you, they really did a great job with that. But I really just love this movie. It doesn't reinvent the wheel when it comes to a movie like this. Like, you know, if you've seen stuff like uh, E.T. or the Iron Giant, stuff like that, it has a similar kind of vibe to it. But because Tom Hanks is so good, because Caleb Landry Jones does such a great job as the robot, uh, it just it really um, just worked for me and like I, I you know resonated with me emotionally and I, I liked it a lot. I wish people got to see it in theaters and I I I would implore you to to go check it out on uh, on Apple TV Plus if you can. Yeah, so that's called Finch, and then you also had a chance to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, Brad. Indeed, I went to a press screening of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, um, and I I must say that I came away disappointed, and it re- <sighs> and it really pains me to say that. Um, And I will say there are plenty of people out there, plenty of colleagues of ours who are like, man, James Gunn stuck the landing. This movie is emotional. What a great ending. Uh, And I wish I saw that movie because I just I didn't feel it. I uh, I wanted to so bad. I love Guardians of the Galaxy. The the original is one of my favorite Marvel movies. I think volume two is still great, even if I don't personally think it's quite as good as the first one. Um, But it feels like there's just too much going on in this movie. It's very uneven and disjointed. I wish that what they would have done instead was made a third movie where they were able to dig into Rocket as a character, give him his time, give him his origin story, and have a story focused on him, and then have a fourth movie be the finale for everybody. Because it just feels like this movie is trying to bite off way more than it can chew by giving us a backstory that makes you care even more about Rocket Raccoon, and then also trying to end everybody's story uh, and bring this iteration of the team to an end uh it's just uh, it doesn't feel like it all comes together in a cohesive way there are some emotional beats that work uh it's still very funny but the the scope of the story uh and the the action sequences and the set pieces they're way too big and they they make things feel really chaotic and big when the focus really should be more so on the character stuff and james gunn does really push emotional moments and ca- and character stuff but it just feels very messy because there's so much going on and um we'll we'll dig into this once the movie comes out but like i will what what i will say is the movie has a big man of steel problem and we can talk more about that if we do a spoiler podcast um and we'll we'll have an article about that coming after the movie comes out as well so okay man well uh yeah talking about lowered expectations for the flash it sounds like people should maybe lower their expectations for guardians and then maybe they'll be pleasantly surprised so um yeah i think that's that's probably a smart bet for pretty much any superhero movie these days just go you know take a take a beat lower your expectations a little bit and uh and then um yeah maybe things will turn out a little bit better than 
than you anticipated. But uh, I'm sorry to hear that you didn't like love it, Brad. I know that like you were really looking forward to this one, and especially after like, I mean, you and I both I think liked Quantumania fine, like better than a lot of other people. Um, but I know that we were like holding out hope that this might be like the big one that turns things around for Marvel after its sort of run of uh, relatively recent. Um, I don't know, failures is the right word, but disappointments. And it sounds like this is just, uh, you, you can you can chalk one up in, in the uh, disappointment column, another one for Guardians Volume 3. So, um, all right, let's get into what we've been eating. What have you been eating recently, Brad? Yeah, I'll run through some stuff here. I'll try and be quick since uh, we're already going pretty long on this one. Um, but uh, I'm a big fan of Qdoba. Um, if you haven't heard of Qdoba, it's like a, somewhere between fast food and dining food, uh, Mexican Tex-Mex kind of restaurant. Uh, it's way better than Chipotle because I think Chipotle is trash. Deal with it. Uh, I, I, le- <laughs> oh, no. I like. All right, we'll we'll just let that go because, like you said, we've been going a little long today. <laughs> we don't have time to get into a whole thing. But yeah, okay, yeah, it's, it's fine. Chipotle <laughs> Um But uh, Qdoba has delicious queso. That's one of my favorite things about Qdoba. I, when I go to Qdoba, I always get the nachos. I, I love the the queso that they have. Uh, one thing I haven't been able to try though is Qdoba has a breakfast menu, but not all Qdobas offer breakfast because what well, I don't know if the market just isn't there. They, so they don't have people opening it up early enough. Uh, but when I went to go meet up with my girlfriend at her sister's house in Colorado, they had a Qdoba that was open in the morning. And so I door dashed myself some Qdoba breakfast. Uh, and man, uh, I wish Qdoba breakfast was around me uh, more often, although it's probably better that it isn't because that would be trouble. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, there are, one day I tried uh, their breakfast burrito, with which comes with their queso, and I also tried one of their uh, breakfast quesadillas another day. And man, they are just so good. And yeah, Qdoba breakfast, top notch. And if that, that if if there were uh, you know a need for multiple reasons to just bury Chipotle and just put it in the ground, Qdoba breakfast on top of Qdoba's regular menu would be the reason for it because mm, yeah. Chef's kiss. Really twisting the knife there. Brad. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, what else? I also tried the new summer uh, Red Bull flavor that's out this year. It's called Juneberry. Uh, and I don't really know what a Juneberry is, um, but the flavor was pretty good. And I'm not uh, a regular Red Bull fan. The flavor, it feels like I'm drinking gasoline or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but all of their fruit flavors are actually surprisingly great because they don't really taste like Red Bull. So, like, they have uh, watermelon and, and dragon fruit. And they, they have a bunch of different flavors now that don't taste crappy like regular Red Bull. And this is another one. The flavor is is really good. Um, it, it's kind. It's a it, the best way to describe it is it's just, it's just a general uh, berry flavor. It's not quite blueberry, um, but it's like like some kind of mixed berry flavor. I don't know if Juneberry is a real fruit or if they're just calling it that as like a summer berry kind of you know shtick. But mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty good. It's it's in like a, a light blue can, and you can find it at convenience stores and Walmart and stuff like that. Okay. On a similar train of thought, there is a new Mountain Dew, uh, Summer Freeze Mountain Dew, available in regular and zero sugar varieties. Uh, it's in cans and, and bottles. And uh, I tried the zero sugar variety because I'm trying to, to cut down, especially on the Mountain Dew side of things, because there's there's a lot of sugar in those. And the zero sugar flavors for Mountain Dew have actually been pretty decent these days. And this flavor in particular was great. Uh, it's the Summer Freeze is modeled after the red, white, and blue Rocket Pops that have been around for, you know, ever. Mm-hmm. And so it's a mix of like uh, cherry and, and citrus and blue raspberry. And so it's pretty good. Some people were saying that like it tastes too close to Mountain Dew Voltage, which is like a blue raspberry kind of flavor. Or they had a summer brew uh, that was out one one year, a few years back. Uh, but this does have its own unique flavor and it tastes like um, a, a melted down 
rocket pop popsicle, which I don't, I don't necessarily love rocket pops. Uh, you know, I like other flavored popsicles, but I did like the flavor of the, this Mountain Dew and the zero sugar especially was uh, delicious. So feel free to Excellent. try it out. Um, Snickers has an iced coffee that is out now. Um, and it's comes in like a Frappuccino esque bottle. It's uh, it's very sweet. The smell of this is like surprisingly like just like opening a Snickers candy bar. Uh, like it's, it's almost overwhelming. Um, but this comes from uh, Victor Allen's, which a company that makes a bunch of different coffees. And the, the taste does capture the mix of chocolate and peanuts and caramel. Uh, and nougat in coffee form so it, it does taste uh, rather sweet and even a bit rich um, but but it is good if you like you know yourself some some flavored iced coffees there's also a Twix one out there but I haven't been able to track it down yet so I'm hoping to try that sometime soon is it like half and half on the taste profile of Snickers and coffee or is it like you're drinking coffee but it might as well be like you're just drinking a melted Snickers bar so yeah it's it's more leans more towards the Snickers flavor profile there's like the coffee flavor is definitely much more subtle because of how powerful the different flavors that give you this the the snickers flavor um are in Mm -hmm. coffee so yeah it doesn't really taste like uh much like coffee it just tastes more like a uh like a melted snickers milkshake i guess maybe gotcha okay uh you also tried a flavor of doritos that i've never seen at a store before oh that's because they just came out uh there's actually two new flavors of doritos and uh, these were released in a very limited capacity online last year and they did well enough and people were interested enough that they decided to release them in wide release for the general public so there's hot mustard uh and then tangy ketchup Uh, i wasn't going anywhere near the hot mustard doritos because i hate mustard almost as much as i hate chipotle um (laughs) and so didn't touch those but i did get the tangy ketchup doritos because uh my girlfriend really likes ketchup flavored chips uh they're not very big in the United States, but they're very popular in, in Canada um, and other places. And they're they're very, very good. Uh, the, the seasoning used to bring the ketchup flavor to chips, um, especially hers ketchup flavored chips in particular, are good. And uh, these are a little bit more, as the, the title implies, they're called tangy ketchup Doritos. And they do have a little bit more of a tangy flavor to them, along with the, the ketchup taste. Uh, but they, they are very, very good. And I, I do hope that, like, these are something that maybe they come back during the summer for cookouts and stuff like that, because I wish that we had more ketchup chips around the United States because they're very good and I, I enjoy them very much. Okay. And finally, uh, when I was in Colorado uh, visiting my girlfriend at her sister's house, I got to go to a place that I've been wanting to go to for uh, a while, back when it was uh, only available in Portland, Oregon, and that's Voodoo Donuts. And only recently did I learn that Voodoo Donuts had kind of expanded as a chain that existed in uh, certain parts of the country. Um, I learned this from actually our own our own Jacob Hall, who said that they have some Voodoo Donuts in Texas. And I was like, oh, I had no idea it expanded beyond because I had seen this on one of the like uh, it was either like a travel channel show or like a, a food network show where they were talking about cool places uh, to visit for for snacks and, and food and things like that. And Voodoo mm-hmm. Donuts came up on one of them. And just the, the different kinds they had, I was like, oh, my God, this place looks amazing. And so, yeah, I, I went when I visited uh, Portland uh, a few years ago. And then I think they also have a Voodoo Donuts that is like in um, like Universal City Walk in Los Angeles or something. Okay. So that may be one of those other spots. If you ever visit L.A. again, Brad, you might want to like drop by and grab something from there, too. Yeah, for sure. I, I was just excited to finally try it. We, we got a box to take home to Brittany's, you know, uh, family and the nieces and nephews and stuff like that. Uh, and so, like, I tried the one that has Captain Crunch cereal on it um they had a a banana cream pie one 
um what, what else do they have they, they just have so many different varieties they, they have one that that is shaped like a voodoo doll and has like you know a pretzel thing for for stabbing and whatnot um <laughs> they, they have one that looks like a blunt which was hilarious um they, they, they lean into definitely some some stoner comedy um but yeah this i was i was so pleased that i finally got to try this but it, yeah voodoo donuts is awesome if you find one near you definitely don't hesitate to check it out great donuts great flavors Excellent. All right. Well, yeah, I think that's going to wrap us up for today's episode and of the show. If you do want to know more about snack foods like this, please check out my Instagram. It's Brad's Junk at look at Brad's Junk. I will have a bunch of new stuff coming soon because uh, I will actually be attending the 2023 Sweets and Snacks Expo that happens here in Chicago at the end of May. So amazing. Pay attention to that because I, this is my first time going and I'm very excited about it. Oh, my God. You're going to like <laughs> if they have like samples, which I'm sure they're going to, you're going to freak out. It's going to be like the, the section of cinema con where they have all the the crazy uh you know here's what's coming to the concession stands near you and yeah exactly year An- another thing. thing that i would love to be able to do sometime yeah so oh man i'm i'm sure you're gonna have a blast with that so uh yeah please bring back some stories for us on the on the podcast of like the craziest things that you see there that that sounds awesome um okay yeah check out all the stuff that we mentioned on today's show at slash uh, i'll probably i'll try to link to a couple things in the show notes but um definitely check out our, our CinemaCon coverage uh to make that worth our while all the, the work that we put into that um slash film daily is published every weekday bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and tv as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on apple google overcast spotify all of the popular podcast apps Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.